From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. Be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Morning. Where are we? It's a new week. Fresh start. The Monday, the 8th of January 2024. Welcome to Open Line on TNT. I'm Natalie Chill. We've got Gemma and Rick coming up. Remember, you can call at the end of the show or you can get on our online chat at tntradio.live. And we've also got guests galore. We've got Wesley Masumba-Colt. He's here to talk about students and universities. We've got David Vance. He's here to talk about Ireland and immigration. And we also have Basil Valentine, who's going to give us an update on the Middle East. And uh, what a weekend on X. It has been a long time since I've got to say that. Uh, actually, some entertainment for a change. It actually could put, bring a smile to your face. Uh, if you haven't already seen uh, the return of Joey Barton. Now, I've happened to follow him for years and years because I'm a big footy fan. Uh, I know Rick is going to cover this more on the Locked and Loaded show as well. Uh, but yeah, it's it's certainly entertaining. He's called a Twitter storm. Uh, he's been insulting anyone he can think of, calling out all names. And uh, yeah, the main thing that I wanted to give a little rant about uh, before we talk about more stories was uh, the Freedom Fighters. They've all turned virtue signalers overnight. Well, not all of them, but just some. Uh, they're all saying, oh, no, we can't get behind Joey Barton. We can't agree with what he's saying because he's got a violent background and 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 it's it's just absolute rubbish basically yeah maybe he does have a violent background uh, but he 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 doesn't he didn't doesn't deny any of it and we're allowed to agree with somebody's point of view without condoning or endorsing their past behavior i can still laugh at a joke i can still agree with his point of view but that doesn't mean i'm saying I think Joey Barton's a hero and I have to, you know, agree with everything he's done in the past. Uh, some of them seem to want a social credit system and nobody's allowed to actually speak or give a, a viewpoint unless we can give uh, an OK on all of their past behaviour. So, yeah, that was my little rant. And another one, uh, Kate Garraway, her husband uh, obviously passed away last week. And I just find the coverage a little bit insulting. Yes, it's very sad for the family. You know, I'm not taking that away, but a little bit insulting that one particular particular man from all of those uh, awful three years that everyone's had to go to get so much coverage. I'm sure she's gone and got an okay uh, magazine deal for the funeral. Um, and, uh, you know, all those people that died from lockdown or from vaccine injuries not getting a look in, Rick. But instead, we're, we're sure to get a whole week of funeral coverage. Yeah, the thing is, uh, first of all, on your points about Joey Barton, uh, I'm not a footy fan like you are, but uh, I must admit for the first time, and I don't know how long, I actually laughed out loud repeatedly over the weekend yeah. when I saw some of the comments that Joey Barton was coming out with. He's scathing, he's brutal, he's blunt, he's to the point, he's telling yeah. it how it is. And I think he is saying things that very, very many people that are in, uh, you know, in positions where they could make an influence and could make a difference. They're afraid of repercussions and kickbacks, but Joey Barton has absolutely no fear whatsoever. And he also made it very clear that he's very deep pockets. So if anyone wants to come at him and sue him, feel yep. free to do that. And one thing I did notice as well is that uh, he had a little swipe at Gary Lineker last night. Lineker yep. weighed in on this and uh, Joey said, listen, uh, Gary, if you want to get involved, 
that's fine. But remember, mm -hmm. I know things about you. Now, I know nothing about Gary Lineric, except he, he unsettles me greatly. I think he's a creep. Uh, it would be interesting if there were some Lineker-esque bombshells dropped by our yeah. joy over the next few weeks, which I think he's is pretty much an inevitability. Yeah, and uh, people were also saying, oh, he's a grifter. And I said, well, he's not really because he's telling you. He's saying, I'm doing this because I've got a podcast to promote. Please yeah. come and listen yeah. to my podcast. That's not grifting. He's he's telling it like it is. A lot of the freedom fighters are grifting, but lying about their moral integrity. And that's a whole different story, in my opinion. He's, he's telling it he like it money. is, and he's selling he, it. He, he, he's he just likes it. Money. He enjoys it. I'd say he's made a lot of money in football over the years if he's done uh, wisely invested it in property like most footballers have or some type of businesses. I would say he's comfortable enough and he doesn't need to uh, grift by lowering himself to making false comments that, that don't really line up with his thoughts and ideas on the X platform. And also you mentioned uh, that that chap that died as well. Yeah, a yeah, hullabaloo has been made of that, uh, Draper, whatever his name was. But there was some strange, you know, reporting around that while the guy was sick and in hospital. And there was pictures over the weekend that I saw with him lying in hospital with glasses on. He was in a coma. People were asking, you know, why is he wearing glasses if he's in a coma? Just a lot of strange things about that. Obviously, yes, the guy's was... dead. You know, I don't know anything about him, but a lot of time and energy has been devoted to that particular guy and that story over the last, you know, what, 13 months. And as you rightly say, uh, we can't let that overshadow the thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people that have been killed and injured and are still suffering as a result of what happened to them over the last three years as well. We can't let that be eclipsed by, you know, one person. Yeah. And that's why I just thought it was important to mention, because whilst he's going to get weeks of coverage uh, now and she's going to do all of these interviews, uh, it's important for stations like ourselves uh, to highlight that actually there were much more people that have suffered in that time as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we got to take a quick pause and then we'll say hello to Gemma here at today's News Talk. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, have for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, Gemma. Did you see any of Joey Barton's tweets? Or uh, I know you're not a big Twitter fan, are you? No, I was comfortably ensconced in a, a, a training room in Glastonbury for since Friday uh, with no contact with the outside world, which uh, we discussed this. You know, it's quite blissful when you're just interacting with humans on a daily basis and not staring at a screen. But actually hearing your... Uh, comments about Joey Barton has made me want to now go and have a look. I had a brief look at Twitter yeah. X this morning to kind of see what was doing the rounds uh, news-wise. Um, and I did see the name Joey Barton and I thought, oh, it's probably some football thing. So I'm absolutely going to go and have a look now and see what this uh, former footballer has been saying and, uh, yeah. and the furore that it's caused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, even my friends that aren't normally interested in politics, they're not normally interested in, in Twitter. They've all been talking about it, sending sending his tweets to each other. So, yeah, definitely worth a look, Gemma. And uh, what have you got story for us this morning? Well, this is an extraordinary story that's actually come out of Africa. And it is the result of a, I mean, I say these words kind of not laughingly, a BBC investigation. Now, you know, if indeed this is an entire BBC investigation, it's a shame that they can't have investigated the last four years as thoroughly as they've investigated this one. But it, it is a very distressing story, actually, and there are some not very nice elements to it. Uh, but it's about an evangelical um, TV preacher, a guy called TB Joshua, who died in 2021. Uh, and since his death, there's been an investigation into his conduct. And it turns out he's something of a Jimmy Savile, really, of, of, of the African showbiz world. I mean, the 
make no mistake, this guy was a celebrity of epic proportions. He founded a church called the Synagogue Church of All Nations. Um, he went on to have uh, have friendships with political leaders, celebrities, footballers. Actually, we're talking about football there. Um, it was, you know, it was a very glitzy thing. And it was um, run on a TV channel called uh, Emmanuel TV. Uh, he was a classic preacher style. Well, he was a preacher and evangelist. He would come out, we'd do these so-called miracle healings. And he had millions of followers on social media and around the world. Uh, throughout the 1990s and early noughties, tens of thousands of people traveled to uh, Nigeria, to Lagos, to see him perform these healing miracles. He claimed to be able to cure the blind and, and cure people of HIV. Um, and he uh, he lived in this big compound and uh, anywhere up to 150 people at a time from all over the world, all nationalities who were drawn for his charismatic profile, they lived with him. So he's a Christian preacher, but behind closed doors, it's emerged it was anything but Christian as uh, tales of child abuse, beatings, multiple rapes, forced abortions. One woman claims she was forced to have a, a backstreet style abortion five times. Um, and it's it's case studies of people who left there, um, uh, who whose lives were ruined and managed to get out from the clutches of this guy. Uh, people tried to commit suicide. Um, but a two-year investigation by the BBC and a platform called Open Democracy uh, has been going on for the last two years to, re to reveal now this evidence. And apparently it's the first time that lots of former church leaders have come out and spoken against this guy. They say they tried to raise the alarm at the time. There's a lot of parallels here with, with Jimmy Savile, actually, and lots of things. They tried to raise the alarm at the time while he was still alive, and they were absolutely silenced. Now, the church has not responded to these allegations. It's not responded at all, but has denied previous allegations against TV Joshua and said they were trying to discredit their prophet uh, and their leader. Now, the church is still going strong. It's run by his widow. It's obviously a multi-million pound operation, but it's just one of those really cautionary tales. Uh, it may, so it's come out of Africa this morning, the findings of this investigation. It could easily be the BBC back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and, and it's funny that they're only coming out now that he is dead. Uh, and it makes you wonder what other kind of charismatic leaders around the world uh, we're going to hear from. It's a bit like Epstein, isn't it? It's all coming out now he's dead. Um, it just kind of this kind of story, I think, will run as long as humanity runs. Corruption, psychopaths in control of organizations, which he clearly was, a grade A psychopath. Um, and it, it is a distressing tale. And I just hope that the victims who are now speaking out um, do get the, the kind of compensation, possibly, and the recognition and the support that they rightly deserve, because they are from all over the world, these victims. Yeah. Have you heard of this guy's name before? Sounds a bit like a cult, really, doesn't it, Rick? Yeah, uh, these things uh, we're hearing, <clears throat> excuse me, the results of this investigation. Now, this guy died, I think it was three years ago, but uh, he's a high profiler in Africa. Um, I would say this, this is endemic within Africa. It, 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 there's these mega churches that are styled on American televangelists, you know, gold gold thrones for people to sit on, stained glass windows, hundreds of thousands of people packed into stadiums for these so-called healing crusades where they have lame people leaping from wheelchairs and blind people throwing their canes away and they're all being healed and then the buckets get passed around and the <laughs> tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars is collected every service and a whip round 
people are easily duped. It's it's just the Manson family, basically, with some uh, a Nigerian so-called evangelical preacher at the helm. And sadly, uh, guys, uh, a lot of small African churches model themselves on these big African churches, these so-called mega churches, because for them, it's a way to get out of poverty. It's got nothing to do with faith. It's got nothing to do with God. It's got nothing to do with spirituality. It's just simply materialism wrapped up in a veil of virtue. Uh, and sadly, people like this, and top, on top of the damage that he's done to these girls and these people that have been part of his cult, He's also acting as a role model for a lot of other poor people to look up to and say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So they start modeling themselves on people like this. But of course, it's not just restricted to uh, Africa. When you talk about forced abortions and you talk about abuse and going on for decades, you know, <laughs> that's been happening over in the West uh, in, in various Protestant denominations and the Roman Catholic Church has been endemic there for decades as well. Sadly, where you get God in inverted commas and people mixed together, you're going to get psychopaths, as Gemma rightly called them out, as moving into these positions to abuse their so-called flock. They don't feed the flock, they butcher the flock. So, you know, it's a, it's a cult, by and large. It's just a huge cult. Yeah. And good luck to those women or men trying to find compensation because they'll have to get it from the cult themselves. And if that woman that's currently leading it, his widow, uh, is anything like any of these cult leaders' widows, she'll be hanging on to those dollars uh, to grim death. And that's that's my take on it. Yeah. I mean, what's so sad, Gemma, about these kind of cults and the psychopaths that run them, they deliberately prey on the vulnerable, don't they? So they prey on people who are desperate for hope, who, have, who are struggling already in their life. So it kind of adds insult to injury, doesn't it? They're already struggling and then they get involved in these uh, in these awful groups uh, where all more more awful things happen to them. Yeah, absolutely. And it is the vulnerable. And I think, Rick, your point is very good here. It's not confined just to this particular uh, charismatic leader of this cult in, in Africa, in Nigeria, quite rightly uh, allude to the Roman Catholic Church. And we all know about the, the children in care homes and the scandals that have come mm -hmm. out, especially Ireland. Um, and that, yeah. they're all coming to light now, aren't they? It's just like the, mm -hmm. we, we talk a lot about the veil being lifted in our society, about, you know, the, the uh, abuse and scandals. And it is relentless now, uh, stories from people's child are just in fact i read a story in one of the big uh, daily papers here this morning about uh, a high profile writer talking about his experiences at a uk boarding school regular beatings from the age of nine and he said he was scarred for life um, from his prep school and his boarding school and his alcoholic violent head teacher and it's all coming out and it's really awful but in a way it's shining a light in the darkness and and it's by i know by pre you can only prevent it by definition when you know it's happening um yeah. or it's happened but we are much more aware of these things now. And people say, oh, you don't dwell on the negative. And I'm a great believer in not dwelling on the negative. But also, I think with this kind of exposure of these scandals, it does lessen possibly the possibility of it happening again on such a wide scale, whether it be within the church or within a cult like this in the future. I think we might be able to get a lot better at spotting the signs. Mm. Yeah, thank you for bringing that to us, Gemma. Uh, unfortunately, we have to say goodbye now. Uh, but don't go away. We've got lots more stories to get here at TNT. TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travellers from terrorists, hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. 
moving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Hi, yeah, we're back again. Uh, don't forget you can call in at the end of the show uh, or you can get on our online chat. Uh, we've uh, don't think we've got the guests here at the moment, so we'll move on to another story. Uh, Oscar Pistorius uh, was on uh, released on parole 11 years after killing Reva Steve Camp. Now, the question that I really want to ask, I know a lot of people will already know about this story. It was huge. Do we think uh, that he only... Uh, was in jail. It was about eight years. Do we think that's a suitable suitable time for someone who's essentially deliberately murdered somebody? Uh, he under South African law, all offenders are entitled to can be considered parole, meaning early release under certain conditions. Um, so that's part of South African uh, law. Uh, but yeah, do we think that? Do we think that's a, a, a suitable amount of time? I mean, that's normal in South Africa that people get to go on parole early. It seems. Seems a very short uh, time to me, Rick. Yeah, and uh, this was a huge case when it came out at the time. This guy was, a, I think he was a, an Olympic athlete who had, uh, he was a double oh, amputee. Yeah. He had both legs removed and he was wearing those uh, prosthetic legs. Uh, he did well in sports. So he was a bit of a darling among uh, the South African sports uh, fraternity and also, of course, in the media. And then famously, uh, he was found guilty of shooting his uh, girlfriend, Rena, uh, to death. Ms. Steenkamp's mother said she accepted the decision to released the former athlete but added that her family was the one suffering the life sentence and he came up with some cock and bull story that he woke up in the middle of the night thought there was a burglar in the house and shot through the bathroom door and just so happened to kill uh, his girlfriend uh, unfortunately she passed away and then he was found guilty of that and then of course he has served some time in prison so yeah he's out pretty pretty early Natalie considering what he was guilty of and it's a very uh, dodgy story to begin with I mean if you wake up in the middle of the night if you have an ensuite bathroom the chances that your burglars went in there for a whiz uh, and that you've got a gun and you shoot him through the door uh, I would say is slim to zero so uh, interesting that he's out but I don't think we've heard the end of uh, this chap somehow no, we haven't. Um, I, I just think uh, he's on parole now. Uh, so he's apparently not allowed to drink any alcohol while he's out. He's got to stay in his house uh, with the amount of money he's got. Somehow, I don't think he'll be keeping to those terms. Uh, we've got now uh, our guest who's arrived, uh, Wesley 
Masumba Colt. He's a, a friend from uh, Twitter. I met him very early on during the protest, and he's a very young, twenty-one. He makes me he makes me feel very old. Uh, but he's a representative wow. of students against tyranny, and uh, yeah, he's here to talk about universities uh, today and students because there's been a massive rise in uh, foreign university students from nearly five hundred k in. Uh, 1819 to nearly 700 in 20 to 22 uh, and universities are making a huge amount of money uh, for getting these uh, foreign students in uh, and then and then the UK students aren't being getting a look in what has your experience uh, in Sheffield Wes uh, is there a lot of foreign students in Sheffield at the moment yeah hello hello TNT thanks for having me um Foreign students in Sheffield, there's quite a lot of them, especially in the um, the much bigger university, the Russell Group One, the University of Sheffield. There is a high influx of foreign students from Pacific Asia, so um, China, Japan, etc. In um, the University of Sheffield, in my university, that's Sheffield Allen, it has mainly foreign students coming from South India, so. India and all the countries that surround it, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, etc. So um, there's quite a lot of foreign students around in Sheffield. I think Sky News even had a headline of um, foreign students coming to um, for university in Sheffield, trying to dock the um, the immigration laws there and trying to bring their families over to the countries and overstaying their visa. So um, yeah, there are a lot of foreign students trying to you know trying to navigate past the immigration laws and trying to break it so yeah so. and I, I don't know if you saw in the article that i sent you as i know you've done some delivery yourself while you've been a student they uh they were calling them delivery visas so rather than get the brightest students in which was originally the plan with these visas people are kind of doing mickey mouse degrees to come in and bring their families over and uh, what what some people are calling basically a delivery visa to try stay in the country afterwards do you think that's fair that uh they're taking uh places away from other UK citizens, but also then adding to the migration problem here? Yes, I think um, they're, they're stripping away all, because they're coming here and they're, and they're studying degrees that does not give them a promising like career prospect. And I'm even seeing on YouTube, a, a lot of students from India say that they regret coming to the UK because the career prospects ain't really that good. And the um, UK students, UK citizens, they're getting missed out on that and they're getting um, their job prospects kind of warped because they aren't really going to the courses that they should be eligible for. But they have to make way to the foreign students because, again, they charge foreign students twice. They charge them twice the amount that, you know, I get 9,000 a year, they get 18,000 a year. So, it's basically a whole money-making machine for them. They have recruiters, they sell them false hopes that, oh yeah, come to the UK, we're gonna have a, it's a great experience, you're gonna study, be part of the world's leading cutting edge research, cutting edge research. Nope, they're coming in and then they study for four degrees, they get extorted for nothing and they displace the, um, the home students from coming and they basically get left to do the um, low wage, minimum wage jobs. 
which I think is the entire purpose of this whole net migration is to try and yes. replace the UK citizens there and then have the foreigners work low paid, low pay minimum wage jobs, basically slave labor, but just a step above that. Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to add, Rick, on that one? Yeah, whereas it seems to be Rishi Sunak do, does a lot of talking, but he doesn't do a lot of doing. He doesn't deliver an awful lot. He claimed last week that he was going to try and uh, cut back on this by stopping families of uh, students coming over. However, it wasn't going to apply to postgraduate students and also students that were on government-sponsored programs. So despite the fact that even the government says they're going to try and address this problem, really, they're still leaving a big loophole there for people to uh, bring their families over to the UK on the back of their uh, student status uh, within the UK. So I don't think this is a problem that, that the government's tackling very seriously at all. I got a news flash for you. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The Pentagon has come under fire for hiding the news that America's Defence Secretary had spent the past week in hospital incapacitated in intensive care. Elon Musk has hit back at the Wall Street Journal after the outlet published a hit piece on the billionaire. Israel claims to have dismantled Hamas's military framework in northern Gaza. And North Korea has warned the South it'll be hit by a baptism of fire, saying the safety locks on the triggers of Pyongyang's military have been lifted. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. <laughs> what a what accent indeed uh we're jumping the gun here a little bit early this is tnt today's news talk and we're super happy to be joined this morning at least on open line for the first time by none other than mr david vance now for those of you who don't know who david is he is a podcaster he's an author and he's also a commentator and uh like myself probably deeply concerned about what's happening in ireland at this point in time certainly there's a lot of issues that we're dealing with our current uh governments both in the north and the south are running is uh, to hell in a handcart but one issue in particular David that I want to talk to you about this morning is immigration and the question that's asked by many people is where are we going to put all these people that are coming into Ireland well one place I'll tell you that we're not putting them is Dublin four certain areas seem to be very elusive when it comes to taking in their fair share of immigrants why on earth do you think that is it's strange that it's almost like Dublin 4 is the epicentre of the elite and where they live in Dublin. And curiously enough, up until this point, uh, they have not been crazy enough to let the, uh, the, these uh, migrants, uh, these asylum seekers, uh, into that particular area. But there's other parts of Dublin, like West Dublin, uh, and North Dublin, which are um, heavily um, populated by, 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 by these people. So it's interesting that um, one rule for, the, for, for, for thee, another rule for me. That's how these people operate. And, uh, you know, the hypocrisy coming from the Irish political elite is staggering. But, you know, plus a change and all that. 
Mm. The, the interesting you mentioned the different parts of Dublin. You know, Dublin's a big city, and uh, earlier on, uh, at the start of last year, I think it was in 2023, there was one area in particular, David. You'll remember uh, East Wall in Dublin, where they were actually bussing lots of men in under the cover of darkness and repurposing office blocks in the centre uh, of East Wall area of Dublin, putting people in there. So very high concentrations in certain parts of Ireland, but not so much in others. It seems to be uh, the main concentration where they're 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 placing mostly men these days is in Cork and Donegal and Wicklow but we're seeing more and more uh, smaller towns and villages are being overrun by people brought in a lot of people have theories about this David you know Natalie and I talk about this all the time have been doing for years now on uh, TNT uh, is it uh, cheap labor is it an invading force what is going on where are the women and children what's your take on this because no one can say for sure exactly what's going on. But having observed this yourself, what do you think is behind all this? What do you think is the driving force behind these influx of men? Yeah, yeah well, as you say, mostly men of military age, young young men of military age. Now, there's a coincidence, isn't it? Um, I think it's pretty clear what we're seeing is, and this is where, where the Irish example is interesting, because Ireland is like a Petri dish you know, a little experimental dish that globalism can do the things that it wants, um, largely get away with it, and, uh, and and then the effects are noticed very, very quickly. So so all, what we're seeing with this incredible demographic change in Ireland is a situation whereby by about 2040 or thereabouts, you know, the, the likelihood is the Irish will no longer be the majority in Ireland. Now, before anyone anywhere else gets too smug about it, that's going to happen in the US. It's going to happen in the UK as well. It's underway. But just in a small region like Ireland, it's just much more obvious to see it, you know. And the, the greatest irony is, of course, this is all being overseen by the Irish government. The Irish government, who clearly despise the Irish people, but they're in, you know, they themselves are clearly you know, enthralled to their globalist uh, paymasters. So they do what they are told. And if that means that uh, the Irish become a minority within their own country, so be it. I'm sure the new arrivals will even deeper enrich the country's culture. Yeah, all this business about cultural enrichment. Natalie, there's a saying uh, that, that men that are going to war leave their women and children behind. Men that are fleeing from war bring their women and children with them. And I'm not just using you as an example here because you're a woman, but what I'm saying is if you're, if Reading, for example, Natalie's based in Reading, so if Reading was to go up and fire tonight and your partner said, Natalie, I'm out of here, I'm going to seek asylum in Ireland, you just stay behind where all the danger, the death and the carnage is and I'll establish myself in Dublin, uh, Dublin 4 maybe, a nice little uh, leafy suburb of Dublin and when it's safe to do so, so then I'll bring you and your two kids over. How would you feel about that? Would you be uh, would you be blown I'm, away by your man's uh, loyalty to you? I think I'd be splitting up with him pretty pronto. Um, and and you know, as a uh, as a mum, I wouldn't be leaving my kids anywhere. So for me, as a parent, if you're trying to flee a terrible situation, the last thing you do is leave your kids behind. So I think, as you said, uh, and you know, I'm sure David would agree that it's not a good reflection on uh, the, these men who are apparently trying to save those their families. Is it uh, just leaving them behind in apparently war torn areas? Yeah, well, well, absolutely, Natalie. I mean, th th that's the point. And then the, the the next point is: so, what do such people then bring to the host company to which they allegedly flee? What do they bring? 
And, uh, you know, we, we kind of see what they bring. I mean, for example, there's parts of Dublin now, and rec- you may know some of them, West Dublin, places like Tallaght. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that in some of those previously working class housing estate areas, because these are all working class areas. Um, for example, some of the major supermarkets no longer do deliveries because if their vehicles would go in, they sure as heck wouldn't come back out again, uh, certainly with uh, their products on them. Uh, it's unsafe. Ireland's increasingly unsafe for the Irish. And it's it's happening, um, I mean, Dublin's the, the biggest city in Ireland by a country mile, um, if you pardon the pun. Uh, and the, the it's other smaller places, you know, around like Donegal and places like that. The, these areas are being rapidly demographically changed because if you've got a, you know, a village of a couple of hundred people and you bring in three or 400 migrants, boom, you've just changed the demographic. And, and that's exactly what's happening. Now, the positive spin on this is that I think a lot of Irish people are beginning to waken up and they're taken to the streets and they're protesting. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have to be done by people power uh, from the ground up, I'm afraid, because the politicians, you know, they're, they're in cahoots, so they, they don't want to know about this. But but ordinary Irish people, you know, they just want to live their lives. They want to bring up their families or kids in a safe environment. I'm afraid these people coming from war-torn lands where different cultural values, uh, you know, uh, prevailed, um, they're not benefiting the the people of Ireland. So there's a conflict coming and it's going to come in the UK as well. But it's just you're going to see it happen in Ireland so much faster. And, And that's why I think a lot of folks should pay attention to the Irish situation for the simple reason that, um, it's going to be coming to your town as well, if it hasn't already. And here's here's the thing too. People sitting listening to us talking right now, for example, just take you and I for an example. Okay, they say, well, there's two white Irish men who have a problem with people coming into the country. They're they're xenophobic, they're racist, they're right wing, they're this, that, and the other. I've said this once and I've said it many times, and I'll put this to you as well, David. I was born and reared in Lisburn in County Andrum. If a hundred of me and my mates from Lisburn, County Andrum, moved into your town or village and were stuck in a hotel, you didn't know anything about our background, you were asking questions, well, who are these men? Uh, what why are they here? What are they going to do? We don't have the infrastructure to support them. I'm white. I'm Irish. So you can't you can't say that you're a racist uh, for asking questions about why this there's huge influxes of single men piling into Ireland at the minute. It's got nothing to do with skin color. It's simply to do with people want to know why, and nobody has answered that question yet satisfactorily. Hence, it breeds a lot of suspicion, and it means people are taking to the streets. Surely, that's a reasonable thing to ask: is who are these men, and why are they in my area? They're not asking why there's they're from Algeria or. It would apply if they came from Newry or they came from Galway and Dundalk, would it not? Yeah. Would you not be a little bit suspicious? Yeah, it's, it's, skin colour is just a distraction. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's irrelevant. The, the fact is, it's the sheer numbers of these people. You know, you've got, as you say, you've got large numbers of people coming into sort of small rural areas where there's not the facilities. And so it's fundamental issues like access to school places, access to healthcare, all these suddenly uh, flip around and the locals become uh, second class citizens in their own little locale. So, so it, the, I think the trying to demonize people who ask sensible questions about why is this happening, as you said, wh- wh- you know, we didn't vote for this, so why are we getting it? Well, I mean, I could venture a few theories on why we're getting it, mm-hmm. but 
fact of the matter is that if we live in an alleged democracy, uh, unless we, you know, we, we sort of put our hands up and say, yes, we want vast scale immigration, we shouldn't be getting it. And yet that's what's happening. And, you know, Ireland's got issues uh, across a whole range of, of, of demographics. It's not just one. But but, it, it, the, but the thing is that the political elite in Ireland are unified in support of it. So um, the, another curiosity in Ireland is that we're going to be in an election, as, as you know, there's going to be an, an election coming up. Mm -hmm. And um, despite the fact that the political parties uh, are all in support of this uh, mass immigration, uh, independent candidates are suddenly surging in the polls. These just individuals in certain areas who have picked up on the fact that look, we don't want this in our community. We want to we want to make Ireland Irish again, which doesn't mm -hmm. seem a bad slogan to me actually for mm -hmm. an election campaign. Maybe I should copyright that one. Uh, <laughs> and therefore, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but I mean, what's wrong with that? And, and so uh, we're going to see this is going to be a tipping year. Either Ireland stops what's happening, or it just falls into the pit of just uh, being consumed by this unparalleled uh, immigration. And unfortunately, the, the primary uh, victim is going to be Irish people and Irish culture. And I deeply regret that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real hot topic, uh, David. And just as we bring this uh, to a close, because we'll have to take a little break in a minute or two, uh, I think 2024 will be, as you rightly say, a pivotal year, a make or break year for Ireland, because I think... Uh, very, very many people are now being touched by this issue that we're talking about. Most towns, most villages, most cities in Ireland now are experiencing this problem and it, it doesn't enrich the culture and it doesn't enrich society because it's causing nothing but strife and division unless of course you're a paid member of one of ireland's uh you know multiple ngos that are set up to uh try and convince the public that this is actually a good thing so many thanks to you this morning just to keep people right as well you can follow david if you don't already do so uh on the x platform he's at dvatw DVATW on the X platform. And he also has a website at www.davidvance.net. So massive uh, thanks to you, my friend, for uh, popping on this morning. And hopefully it won't be the last time that we talk because this is just such a crucial issue. So big TNT salute to you, thank Mr. You. David Vance, uh, this morning. Thank you very much for joining us. We've got to take a little break right now. But when we come back, we have Basil Valentine, uh, who's going to be joining us for an update on the Middle East. So don't go away. Stay tuned for more here on TNT today's news talk i said could she die and the doctor said she could it was so scary when i started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and i thought you know what are we going to do if i die here <laughs> how's everyone going to go on when someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. 
it affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better, better lives together. I'm CAL FIRE Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. Be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Don't forget you can call at the end of the show. Basil Valentine is here, broadcaster, regular TNT contributor and host of the Compass show as well. Basil's here to give us an update on the Middle East situation. What's the latest uh, at the moment, Basil? Uh, well, the latest is that uh, there's been another massacre this morning, this time in Deir al-Bala in central Gaza, an airstrike on civilians, dozens of people killed and injured. <clears throat> also today we've discovered from the Channel 13 Israeli journalist Zvi Yehez Kelly that Israel purposefully and premeditatedly murdered the family of Al Jazeera Gaza bureau chief Wael Dadu. Generally we know <clears throat> excuse me generally we know the target he said on Israeli TV for example today there was a target the family of an Al Jazeera reporter in general we know. So this has to be contrasted with what uh, US Secretary of State Tony Blinken said yesterday when he referred to the assassination as a terrible tragedy as though they'd been struck by lightning or had died in a car crash or something. Um, when he was asked to comment on the murder, uh, all Blinken can say is, I'm deeply sorry for the unimaginable loss suffered by your colleague, while Al-Dadu. I'm a parent myself. I can't begin to imagine the horror that he's experienced not once, but twice now. This is because other members of 
while Al Dadu's family were murdered back in October. Back in October, Blinken went to Doha, capital of Qatar, which hosts Al Jazeera, on behalf of Israel and asked them to tone down their coverage of the Gaza war. Uh, the Qataris and Al Jazeera refused. And a few days later, the uh, principal Al Jazeera's correspondent in Gaza, his whole family were murdered. So, you know, we're dealing with gangsters here. We're dealing with homicidal maniacs. More journalists have been killed in this so-called conflict than were killed in the Second World War. And that's in the space of just three months. So it's an, what you know, what's the latest from the Middle East? It's an absolutely appalling, appalling humanitarian catastrophe. And, uh, um, you know, the best part of two million people are now starving as well. So, and you know, where we go from here is that on Thursday, the International Court of Justice will uh, open their proceedings um, based on the South African genocide case. Okay, um, so we're, they've been we're supported no closer. this morning. Go on. I was going to say, we're absolutely no closer to a ceasefire at all, I take it, Basil. There's there's not been put anything in place <clears throat> at the moment or looking like that might happen. Well, the, the pressure on the Israelis to uh, stop the killing are the Americans, and they show no signs of doing so. But worth pointing out as well that uh, declassified UK have been doing tremendous work uh, uncovering the United Kingdom's complicity. We have apparently allowed air bases uh, in Cyprus to be used for the resupply of ammunition, something that has now prompted street protests in Cyprus itself. And next week there will be a march to the bases to say, we do not want Cypriot soil by locals. We do not want Cypriot soil being used to aid and assist in genocide. Um, you know, the ICJ case is extremely significant. Its importance can't really be overstated. It was initially dismissed by the Israelis, um, but now they're having to take it a lot more seriously. It's 84 pages of documentation. And one of the most difficult things to prove in a genocide case is uh, intent. You know, that is the fact that you killed thousands of people isn't enough. It's got to be indicative that that was the purpose to kill thousands and thousands of people. And while the Israelis, of course, deny this, and we hear all these milquetoast statements from diplomats like Blinken and the German foreign minister who was in the region yesterday about Israel must do more to minimize civilian casualties and collateral damage, you know, all these uh, really obscene terms for human suffering. Um, the simple fact is that uh, amongst the evidence that the South Africans will be presenting is over 500 instances of genocidal statements by Israeli ministers, right up to and including Benjamin Netanyahu himself. Now, uh, what the Israelis are saying is, first of all, that, you know, some of those statements are from journalists, and commentators, people no longer in power or from army personnel who are not in um, key decision making roles. So therefore, um, they can be discounted. 
And uh, where those statements have come from senior government ministers, the Israelis are going to argue that they didn't mean it. So when they said, uh, you know, we, we must uh, obliterate the whole of Gaza, they apparently they didn't mean it. But of course, mm. actions speak louder than words. And that is, in fact, exactly what they are doing. The north of Gaza has been almost completely flattened. Uh, it has been a more intensive bombing campaign than uh, the RAF launched on Dresden in the Second World War, much, much heavier than the London Blitz. The equivalent of two atomic bombs have been dropped on an area the size of Glasgow, and it's continuing every day. Wow, that's, that, it's that's, it's not just uh, it's not just the uh, the bombings <clears throat> and the the atrocities and the massacre of journalists and the massacre of the innocents that are happening there with uh, heavy ordnance uh, is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a humongous uh, humanitarian crisis going on in Gaza yes. at the moment as well. There's a complete lack of aid. The people that are surviving these attacks are left with no infrastructure. They're left with no water, yes. no electricity, no food, no fuel. Is it right to say that what's being reported the little that's being reported on these atrocities that are happening in Gaza for example is simply the tip of the iceberg because for every person that's killed there's other people that are displaced they've lost relatives, they've lost loved ones, they've lost businesses, they've lost their homes, they've got nowhere to go, they've got no way of knowing where their next meal is coming from here. There's a, there's a massive uh, amount of residual fallout to these attacks as well that goes way beyond loss of life directly from bombings and also leveling of buildings it's it's a complete destruction of society isn't it yeah, absolutely um you know mosques schools hospitals have all been flattened you know approaching 150 united nations relief aid aid workers have been murdered in airstrikes and uh, you can uh, hear members of the knesset the israeli parliament saying we must destroy the united nations refugee relief agency in gaza openly saying that they want to destroy the un facilities UN facilities where people have been sheltering have been bombed of course they were all told at the beginning of the gazans were all told i mean with supreme arrogance by the israelis to move south uh, and now they're bombing the south you know there is nowhere safe there is not enough to eat there is no clean drinking water Dogs are eating corpses that they find under the rubble, and human beings are eating the dogs. It is hell on earth. Hmm. And, uh, you know, to back it up, uh, here's a statement from the Israeli heritage minister, of all things. So one assumes that he's uh, partly at least responsible for promoting tourism to Israel. Israeli heritage minister, heritage minister Amichai Eliyahu, urged that Israel must find ways for Gazans that are more painful than death. So that's a minister saying he wants outcomes for Palestinians that are more painful than death. Well, we know that well over a thousand children have had limbs amputated without anesthetic. Limbs that had to be amputated because of the severity of the injuries they received in bombings. Okay. So I'm afraid it seems that the bloodthirsty Mr. Eliyahu is getting his wish because I think having a limb amputated as a child without anaesthetic is indeed more painful than death. Mm.
Thank you, uh, Basil, for uh, that that update. Uh, it certainly um, uh, opened my eyes to what's going on over there at the moment. Um, and there we'll isn't say- enough reporting of it. So that's the other thing is yes. that it's being buried by the likes of the BBC, you know, um, who are still endlessly referencing October the 7th. A, a recent report came out highlighting the difference in language that used. And Israelis on, the, uh, on October the 7th were slaughtered you know, by barbaric acts, but apparently blowing the legs off children, you know, is not slaughtering. These uh, Palestinians simply died in a blast. You know, Owen Jones has produced a very good video which breaks down how the language around the deaths, both the number of references in the media and also the language used is obscenely skewed in Israel's favour. Do you have anything to add, Rick, before we wrap this up? No, just many thanks, Baz, for uh, giving us that update. Uh, You know, as you rightly pointed out, this isn't widely covered enough uh, on the media and a lot of people don't know what's actually happening there. So uh, in the short time that we had here this morning, at least it gives us an update on what the current state of play is here uh, today or there today over in Gaza in Palestine. So a big thanks to you for that, uh, Basil. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. Uh, before before we go, uh, we can just cover a very quick uh, update from X uh, from Rishi Sunak. Um, he's uh, put another tweet out there, uh, which has been community noted. More lies. Uh, he said we've made tough decisions on the economy while supporting people through global shocks like the pandemic. Because of those tough decisions, we're able to now cut taxes. Today's tax cut will put £450 back in the pocket of the average worker and help them make ends meet. So uh, what does the community note say? Have they actually been doing that and putting back money in people's pockets, Rick? No, uh, the the beautiful thing, another positive, if you want to take a positive from X at this point in time is, you know, I'm trying to move away from it as much as I can, but Joey Barton has certainly led a match underneath it over the weekend, and it is actually an entertaining place to spend some time on his account at the minute, but also the addition of these community notes. It seems to be, Natalie, that everything that Rishi Sunak posts up now and as official (laughs) Prime Minister of the UK has a big blob underneath it to say readers added context they thought might be helpful for you to know. So according to the OBR, the tax burden still increases by eight pence. The proposed change reduces the burden from 10p. So all it does is lessen the increase, not do away with the increase at all. So everything that Sunak's writing, whether it be on immigration or whether it be on his tax cuts or whether it be on NHS, the waiting times, the waiting lists, the processing of uh, you know asylum-seeking forms, Everything that he says at the minute is being fact-checked and the vast majority of it is shown to be complete and utter bunkum. So it's great. It saves us doing a lot of work and effectively by doing investigative research in this because other people are on the job and we're simply reporting back their findings that have been uh, verified as being true. So it's uh, it's a handy tool to have, these community notes. But you would think as well, wouldn't you? Like that obviously it's not Rishi Shanak that's that's writing the tweet. Somebody's running this page. And you'd mm-hmm. think after you'd been community noted two or three times already, you'd think very carefully before putting out the next tweet. But no, no, they're just gonna carry on lying, Rick, and just get and just making uh, themselves look very, very stupid. Yeah, or the, the uh, what would be sensible, Natalie, is number 10 should say, can we please find out who's doing <laughs> the community notes and employ them 
as a Downing Street uh, employee to say, listen, we're thinking of putting this up on X. Could you please run it through the microscope and let us know if yeah. we're going to have egg on our face before we hit that send button? Think about it. It's like those, uh, you know, the computer hackers when they're found guilty of hacking into the FBI. Instead of going to prison, they're offered a day. Look, you can spend the next 30 years in prison or you can come and work for us, the FBI, and show us how we can better strengthen our security. So if you had any sense in your head as a number 10 uh, community, community or not community a communications officer you would say we need to get these people that are fact checking us and actually bring them on the our side to avoid some embarrassment and shame so there's a little tip if they're listening in try hiring these is people it, instead of having them humiliate you on a daily basis it's either that or they just stop being corrupt and lying or is that too much to ask from a politician maybe too much. Oh, too much or politics is too much. Too much. Too much. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure we'll see much more of the same. Uh, we'll probably keep updating you if we have any other Rissy Sunak tweets uh, that are embarrassing because it's always good to uh, to keep you updated on that one. Uh, I've been Natalie Chill and this has been Open Line. Uh, we've got. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Rick's going to carry on for Locked and Loaded. I uh, hope you all have a lovely day and I will see you at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Bye. Bye.